0: I confess, (laughs) I'm tired. (laughs) But the tiredness is appearing in a grateful heart. Somebody was asking the other day, I was saved by the bell, uh, but uh, about the practicing now and when one started out. I guess that was 40 years ago when I went off to Thailand. I got tired then, I get tired now. (laughs) Experience pain then, I experience pain now. Things didn't always go the way I wanted them to go then. Things do not always go the way I want them to go now. But, Hallelujah. <laughs> I always conceived of a peace somewhere else. You're getting there. When work's hard enough, you get there. You're not there just because you're not doing it hard enough, well enough, right enough. And hard work has its place. It's virtuous, persistence can be a great blessing. But as we've reflected, it can be an incredible curse robbing us of ever appreciating anything because we're always driving, the driving ones, as Rilke would say. But the idea that there's, was just an idea, then I guess, peace is always here and now. But it's true. What grace that this jewel, the sacred jewel, the home ground, is here. I am grateful to meet wise compassionate beings who, who know us because they know themselves that looking too far being so compulsive to get rid of what we have to get rid of and overlooking this peace that is here, our our true nature. And so even a headache and exhausted, but uh, not fighting it, it is just what it is. It's quite peaceful. You know, like we've been saying... Is it heavy? Well, it's heavy, yeah. I think it shouldn't be there. And just our, our good fortune to encounter a, a teaching that, that, that takes us in alignment with how it is and with our own treasures, that, that this is here, is, is wonderful beyond words. My mom, before she died, used we used to. She had a good sense of humor, and dad was more intense. But well, mom would be talking about her stock portfolio, just laughing because she didn't really care. <laughs> but uh, I say, mom, I've got a really hot tip. I'm heavily invested in BDS Unlimited, blue-chip stock, long-term investment. She said, what's that, Randy? I'd say, Buddha Dhamma Sangha, (laughs) Unlimited. But someone was asking about devotional uh, practice. And uh, Tanisra talked about uh, sadhana and and trust and faith. And there can be actual practice or or devotion. There can be practices where we regularly remember what's precious to us. That triple jewel, the refuge, is is, uh, the most precious thing that the Buddha consciously conceived of the three refuges, the three trustworthy sources of inspiration, where we can find true safety, what will carry us to true, profound well-being. Right from his enlightenment, when his first disciples came, he had this notion of 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 that intention which was helpful, not just a little blip of an intention. I go for refugee, I go for refuge. For the second time, for the third time, it means we're sustaining an intention to remember as opposed to dismember, remember, realign, reconnect with profound, measureless qualities which are inherent, not somewhere else, inherent in this body-mind, in this life. and you know we can be devoted to and i used to joke when we would wake up we'd have a, a mantra especially as we're getting older oh, it's too difficult oh back it's too difficult but that thank goodness that mantra doesn't last too long <laughs> and then we make our way to the shrine room or to our to to remember or wherever we happen to be to rather than just remember what we're enraged about, though there can be a place for that or what we want to fight for or uh, take care of, that's all right. But if that's all we do and we don't also take the time to remember what is most precious of all, that going to Buddha, a place of listening, vigilance, awareness, Dharma, the way it is, the truth of the situation, not just the reactive to the surface, but to be interested in connecting, in resting in the truth of the matter, how it actually is, Buddha Dharma, awareness of how it is. Sangha, that befriending what is skillful, that practicing to keep returning to that connection, it allows us to see whether we're being hijacked by what the Buddha called asava, these floods of, and this was talking about desire, kamasava, bhavasava, you know, the the flood that carries us out to, to pleasure, the joy out there, to becoming, to getting successful, not bad things, or the aversion to having to want to get rid of but that can be endless. There's no arriving, no completion, no real refreshment. But in Buddha-dhamma and being aware of how it is and in a moment of seeing the nature, we can realize we're being swept out of our ground, dismembered from the ground of awareness. The Buddha. Where is it from? It's from Anguttara uh, Nikaya, the set of discourses around numbers. Enraptured with lust, enraged with anger, blinded by delusion, overwhelmed, with mind ensnared. Beings aim at their own ruin, at the ruin of others, at the ruin of both, and they experience mental pain and grief. But if lust or craving, aversion and delusion are relinquished, given up, then a person aims neither at his own ruin nor at the ruin of others, nor at the ruin of both, And he or she experiences no mental pain and grief. This is Nibbana. Immediate. Here and now. In this life. Ever inviting us. Taking us deeper. To be experienced by each wise person for themselves. The cessation of greed, hatred and delusion. This itself is called nibbana from the first night remembers buddha reminding us our heart is luminous but we lose touch with it cuz we get Confused by what's moving through the heart. We're not actually going anywhere, but that we're learning more and more to be fully here. And that it's that very, being mesmerized by thinking there's something to get hold of and keep My happiness, my pleasure, my body, my portfolio. Or really something to get rid of that really has to be gotten rid of. That wanting and not wanting of the mind. That sankara, that creation really of there's somewhere to go, something to get rid of. Then the jewel that's here, we just don't see it. We overlook it. taking the real to be unreal. We just assume it's not here. It's ever-present what Tanisra was teaching us, sharing beautifully the words of the Buddha last night about turn your mind to the deathless. It's not somewhere else. When the Buddha was giving a talk to his disciples about Nibbana, he he said this, there is an unborn, unoriginated, uncreated, unformed. If there were not this unborn, this unoriginated, this uncreated, this unformed, then escape from the world of the born, the originated, the created, the formed, would not be possible. But since there is an unborn, unoriginated, uncreated, unformed, there is escape possible from the world of the born, the originated, the created, the formed. There is freedom from suffering, if there was no deathless principle, unchanging principle, there would be no escape, so might as well just get it while you can, even though it keeps eluding us. We've been exploring, working hard, a suffering that's not wasted suffering, a suffering dedicated to the ending of suffering is is worth it. All the patience, the perseverance, the inquiry, the not just following habits, it takes energy and effort, it can be exhausting. But I've really been touched by all our collective efforts. But as we remember and connect with body, Buddha Dhamma, awareness of form, the most tangible dimension of our experience. Steadying, calming, aligning, brightening, even a bit. And then uh, turning that mind, not far at all, but that mind to then notice changeability as we have the arising and ceasing of the breathing the wailing and subsiding of pleasure and pain the intensity and the dissipation of powerful moods that seem like they'll never end and then where'd that go? when that Remember, finger snap of just not skipping over. Okay, so i changed change that. Next. Allowing ourselves to digest. It's something just like this talk. The talk. The evening talk. Oh God, how long will it go? Last time he went, I think he didn't see. Is the clock on? I can't help but do a little diversion, sorry. Ajahn Chah once would give Dhamma talks at night, and watch in the jungle, it's late. I'm sure the monks were a little bit tired, but it's the Ajahn, okay, never mind. And Ajahn Chah was going on for a while, and then this little novice, he's about 10-year-old, new to the monastery, but he was getting a bit ready for bed, so he... Softly, he didn't disturb anybody. Got his torch, his flashlight, and just pow, shined, turned it on and shined it onto the wall to find the clock. <laughs> <laughs> and 45 monks quietly went, because oh. Ajahn Shah smiled and talked for a couple of hours. <laughs> <laughs> so don't push me <laughs> <laughs> oh god the talk and all the opinions that we have about it but to Buddha Dhamma it's deep reflection yonisomanasikara, not just the surface but the allowing uh, the mind to look at the nature of talk phrases that keep rising subsiding and the changeability and how its sound talks full of holes is falling into the background. When we are mesmerized by language that takes a stream of the actual perceptions and turns them into this and that, that little Concretization, that creation of a thing, a me, a you, a this, a that, a here, a there. It's what the Buddha called papancha, because it tends to you get a little this and then you got a that. You have a Dhamma talk and then suddenly it's long, it's short, it's good, it's bad. But if one actually goes close to it, is it a thing? It keeps welling up and subsiding. So as we notice how changeable sensations and feelings and thoughts we've been exploring how that leads to dispassion because you mean all that stuff, I'm going to lean on one of those things and that's called upadana, climb on, bawa birth. You know, you give a good talk that people like, oh God, I'm a good Dhamma teacher, and then give another talk... You know the story. Feeling happy. Yeah, I'm happy. Golly, finally I made it after how many years. But happiness is the same way. Success is the same way. Me and my hand raised up. It was wonderful to work hard to be a national champion. But me, that, mine, then you take birth in that, and then lean on it. Like when I was really tired, I was sick for years I was really tired I had to keep finding walls to lean on if I was laid down for a few years but then when I could move I would love finding things to lean on sit on it's like you tired walking, and you lean on a car <sighs> get some rest but if the person gets in there and drives it off <laughs> you fall down so we lean on happiness success confident mood, that's birth, then when it shifts dislocation, so the mind then seeks stability, but looking for certainty in that which is uncertain, as Ajahn Chah said, you're bound to suffer, so as we see, as wisdom sees that, sees change, we start letting go, That's what Tanisra was, turning your mind to the deathless. What comes and goes, that's what it does, is comes and goes. We fight it, we create the stress. But when Kundunyo, the first disciple that broke through, realized what arises ceases, he honored change then he noticed what remained, that image of the guest. The nature of guests is to come and go. But the host remains. So the sounds of the Dhamma talk come and go. What remains? The awareness. If you hold on to that label, the, the awareness. Someone else says, no, it's your true nature. The true nature. No, it's the awareness. It's not the awareness. That's consciousness. It's, it's the citta. It's a different kind of consciousness. Whatever you call it. sorrow, it's the higher self. Thank you. I note that down. The Lord. It's the Lord. It's God. Okay? Thank you. Nibbana. The Buddha had 30 synonyms. He said, call it what you want. The peaceful, the beautiful, the invisible, the safe place, the refuge, the undying, the deathless. As the Tao Te Ching says, the name that can be named is not the eternal name. So we hold the names lightly. The Buddha was much more interested in us experiencing that than trying to get us to worry about what we call it. That's why he called it deathless. rather than we have to Buddhists have to believe in change, have to believe in suffering. I believe in suffering. <laughs> Come on, kitty so you can do better than that. <clears throat> I believe in suffering. I believe in Nibbana. The skill of rather than fixed, it's not permanent. It's is helping us hold lightly and let go of preconception. But language fixes on to things. So in the, the gateway into the deathless is learning to widen. As we yoni so manasikar, that means place things in the womb of the heart, of the mind. Everything has a context. We're not fooled by things. So like this sound the sounds keep dissolving back into silence. Rather than being so focused on the forms, we were always encouraged to realize there would be no form without space. So widen the awareness. No form without space. Forms coming out. A lot of people, few people, people that maybe we like, or those we react to, those we know, those we don't know, they come, they go, but the space is untroubled. Space remains. The other simile that helped Condonio, there was two images that helped him. One was the host and the guest. The other was, came from a sunbeam. Came in... through the window, shined and he saw the dust dancing in the sun. He noticed the dancing dust and that the space was not disturbed. It's the nature of dust to dance. What if you got in there and thought, come on, come on, don't move. Dust dances, but the space is untroubled. He realized in fixing that's sansara birth is a contraction from our measurelessness around a feeling, a thought. And we it becomes solid in me. As we start practicing mindfulness and then wisdom, we realize whatever it is, whatever thought or feeling, it's arising and ceasing, it's moving through the space. like we used to rake leaves in the monastery in Thailand. We made our own brooms. It was very peaceful. Clear the path. See, our huts were in the forest. Clear the path so you could see where you're going and not step on the army ants, which is trouble, or or snake. But if the wind was really blowing, and it really blows sometimes and you're really wanting to rake the leaves, you can have a problem. That sometimes when the wind is, is, everything's going everywhere, one can just appreciate the storm. And even though the leaves are flying all over the place, and sometimes our nervous system is like that. Thoughts, feelings, headaches. But the deathless heart, the Buddha said, peace is always here and now. Where would that be? Is space disturbed by the leaves when they're going like that? We just let the moving be moving. That's what it does. Conditions do that. So it is said, as space is to form and silence is the sound. So too is awareness to all phenomenon. So as we continue to move through our lives to treasure this gateway, mindfulness, touching, noticing change, widen and realize that every sound Notice the gaps. Each sound drops back into this unmoving, living silence of awareness. Just like space, all the stuff is moving, but the space is untroubled. And especially our thoughts. Tanisra last night read that important teaching where the the great God of the 33, Saka, came and asked the Buddha, Lord, everyone wants peace, to live in harmony, and yet we end up <laughs> hating each other and fighting. Why? You know, she, the Buddha traced it back, well, because of stinginess, trying to keep what I got, me, mine, and envy what others have envy and stinginess which came from liking and disliking which came from desire and thinking and he traced it all the way back to Papuncha this way that we take the stream of perceptions and turn it into things all this has happened to me That's the first and most important thing we create. Well, it's happening to me because, well, I see it. I hear it. It's happening to me. And then that, as soon as you have an it, because things change, you've got to bring time in there. And yet, as we notice the dust dancing, let the sounds be what they are and relish the silence. And particularly with our thoughts. Our opinions. Oh, this is just too difficult. Notice the gap after the thought. Where does that thought go? Oh, I'm really, I'm I'm really, I think I've got it now. Yeah. It's making sense. Rise and dissolves back. An example that's is, is, is used in the scriptures is like a, a bubble on a river. Perception says, ah, oh, there it is. Look at it, it's beautiful light on it. It is. And then it pops. And someone else says, see, it's empty. Doesn't exist. It isn't. Then the bubble reappears. <sighs> see, there it is. It is it isn't fighting about is and isn't and good and bad language wants things to be in such simple categories like that lightning flash in the sky you know the, the, there it is and then it's gone or the dew drop there it is looks like a jewel then the sun comes up and it disappears it's not a thing That. Yet language makes it seem like a thing, but it's in dynamic relationship with the atmosphere, with the warmth, with the sun. In the Lotus Sutra, Mahayana discourse near the end of the Buddha's life, he said this dharma, this reality cannot be described. Words fall silent before it. So, proliferation, the Buddha said there's a path to non proliferation. It's called nipa-pancha. I want to at least touch on it, what we've been practicing. But when we get so excited about our thoughts and differentiations, and yes, it's powerful, it's a communication. But then when we turn to thoughts to figure out who we really are, it just ties us in knots. So notice in our calming practice, we moderate thought. Rather than thinking big essays, we shorten thought just to remind us to be here. And then to receive the moment. And just using a thought to steady us here. And then to see the nature, changing nature, and to let go and notice that ground, ever-present ground where everything keeps returning to. So Saka also asked the Buddha, well, what is this path to non-proliferation? And the Buddha said, well, you know, thought has its purpose. It's useful to to think and decide whether whatever you're doing is is wholesome or not. Thinking is really helpful if it tells you, hey, that's going to harm yourself or another. That's useful. And if it's not wholesome, we learn to try not to do that or say that. That's that foundation of virtue. But then the Buddha said, okay, if what you're doing is not hurting yourself or hurting someone else, he said, There's two kinds of of pleasant feeling. The kind that's accompanied by thinking, and the kind then when there's no real thinking. He said the kind where there's not thinking is a higher order. Same with pain. If something's painful, like, you know, we working with sometimes discomfort, not harming anyone. He said, you know, if, if, if you're doing it with, with some thinking, that's all right. It's still good. You're helping ourselves be patient. But he said, if you even learn to let thoughts subside and stay with that, it's of a higher order. So I at least just want to touch on this. Training ourselves not to be so dependent on having to think all the time. And this is not a war on thought. You can let the thoughts, if they go all over the place, it's still like the dust dancing doesn't disturb the peace. But one doesn't have to follow it. And that's where a, a holy name or a phrase, like in and out, or bud to, or Kwan yin, even better, a, a sacred name that reminds us of our refuge, the precious ground of listening, say Quan yin. A lot can be happening, but we can breathe in with the word, breathe out, and then savor those gaps before the next word. We're getting that feeling of allowing ourselves to rest in the unformed, uncreated. We can be having a cup of tea, just thinking about all kinds of things, but then we can just say, having the cup of tea. Let that phrase touch us. Let it, and then for some moments, just enjoy the touching, the holding. Get the feeling for resting in those gaps. We can be walking on, walking on. This is really interesting. That's still good. But sometimes we can even just say, okay, walking. Let that phrase, hear that description, dissolve. And then the actuality of walking is this incredible cascade of sensations for moments, allowing ourselves just to be with that in the silence. You'll notice that when we're not bound in thought, the thought's what creates the big divider. Buddha said everything merges in the deathless. All this sense of me, you, here, there, tomorrow, all that multiplicity actually in truth, in nibbana, when we're connected to our true nature, the separations dissolve. just like we can be caught in the surface of the oak tree. or They're strong. And the beech, they're quite beautiful. And the birch is delicate and silver, and not that strong, but amazing. And uh, that one's indigenous. That one's a bit of a... In Africa, aliens are difficult because they lead to erosion. We look at the surface, but where do all things merge, all trees merge? If we look more deeply, every branch, every leaf returns to the ground. And if you look deeply into a tree, it draws its nourishment from the earth. As we go deep down the oak, the beech, the birch, the pine, they all merge where you can't... On the surface, all these differences... But when we allow things to be seen in the context, the sounds into the silence, the forms in space, all these experiences merging back into listening. When we taste uh, peace, that's wonderful. Sometimes we just want to stay there and start resenting what pulls us out. Or if something's pulling us out, we've been remembering, we've been noticing how important it is to be aware of aversion. It's not only the grasping. Wisdom helps you see everything changing and leads to dispassion, but aversion is melted by kindness the other powerful doorway. And just like that finger snap of noticing change has incredible power, look what the Buddha said about kindness. He said, disciples, if a disciple cultivates loving kindness for as long as a finger snap. He's called a bhikkhu a true alms mendicant. He's not destitute of jhana. That's calm meditation. He carries out the master's teaching. He responds to advice and does not eat the country's alms food in vain. So what should be said of those who make much of it? Mindfulness, wisdom, letting go. Into emptiness. The other gateway, why is even a finger snap of kindness? When we're not kind or compassionate, we made a wall. A creation here and there. In a moment of kindness, we're opening and allowing, welcoming, being well with, not pretending to like everything, but not fighting. Very powerful. These two great wings of awakening. Wisdom, seeing into, letting go, compassionate welcoming. Also guides us home because it nothing is excluded, everything is allowed. So the great sage Nisargadatta said, Wisdom says I'm nothing. Compassion says, I'm everything. Between these two banks, the life of the awakened one flows. Wisdom says, I'm nothing. We think I'm this and that. We focus, we see it dissolving, letting go of clinging. We see, touch this ground. but our tendencies, the hard places, the still maybe wanting to avoid life. Compassion says I'm everything, nothing excluded. One mind, focusing, letting go, welcoming. Letting go, welcoming. Especially because of our deep, hardened, Tendencies. Our wisdom needs compassion because sometimes our wisdom sort of just shatters. We just get so lost. Then the compassion, the kindness melts, the acceptance. When I arrived in Thailand, I was super fit, strong. I did everything, extra practices, served everybody, did sitting practices so I wouldn't lie down. Made myself popular with the senior monks because I tried to be helpful, all good things. Then when I got really sick and To lie down for years as I was getting over the results of typhoid. Some of my teachers, my Western abbot, could just still remember how fit I was, and they wanted me to get better. They were always saying, "Are you better?" I saw all kinds of doctors and healers. Just had to spend hour after hour lying down, being with pain. Inflammation, internal bleeding, brain not working, body not working very well. But feeling, you know, wanted to get better to this wonderful teaching, wanted to give something back. One day, my Western teacher, Ajahn Sumato, he just realized something. He came up to see me. He said, Kitty Sorrow, I just want to apologize. I'm lying there and I said, what? He said, no, I just want to apologize. For what, Arjun? He said, I've realized that we've been putting all this pressure on you. We wanted you back like you used to be. Strong, handstands and teaching yoga and energetic. He said, Kitty Sorrow, you have permission to die. He said, I'm not saying I want you to die, but you have permission. And this uh, joy, relief, these tears, to just allow. Actually, that illness turned into a huge heavenly messenger and that kindness of my teacher to just let me learn from that. Deeply accept. And then the pain was still painful, but it's not, when you're not telling yourself what it is, not pushing and pulling, and in deeply accepting, it wasn't my time to die. Did I, you know, seem to get better? But... I'm grateful for his recognition of what he called the orphans of consciousness, those moods, those circumstances we just get tangled in and then we throw them in the dungeon. We Don't, you're interrupting my meditation, my, my, my path, my... He would encourage us to allow. Just as even someone you don't like, you can still give them a place at the table. Say here, have a cup of tea. Allowing. And in that allowing these and we all have a lot of these as a deep one of feeling unworthy deep in our collective that robs us all the time nothing's ever enough to also allow bless listen to those voices come and go and dissolving into the silence let it have its lifespan. Keep noticing that wider, unmoving silence. That melting, that transformation of the heart can happen. These two go together, they're not far apart. Wisdom and compassion sound so different. Seeing into Letting go, I'm not a thing, I'm nothing, compassion welcomes these two mudras. They become a dance in our practice. They both are parlamitas, they're natural qualities of the heart that carry us home to the sacred ground. This world is mysterious. And when we're so caught in our thoughts, tree, another day, same old faces across the table, same old face in the mirror, oh my God. (sighs) This practice really of noticing the gaps before and afterwards. Language is powerful and important, but really to start this neat papancha, this non-proliferation, this letting things keep dissolving into space, into the ground, this practicing of kindness. And then the mystery, the mystery, the possibility that, wow, this right here. the wise ones, it said, are always rooting for us, encouraging us, blessing us, and sometimes we don't. We don't hear it. But the person that was asking about the devotional practice, well, a very important devotion, staying to the cherished refuge, but also using a word that keeps dissolving, so it also was helping me in Nipa Punca. I use holding a name a lot in my daily life. Let the name like Kuan Yin be there, and then it, it means the one who listens. So it... Reminds me to trust in that listening, that that is already a safe place, unabiding. So one can hold the word, but enjoy the spaces between the words. So even holding a holy name can be a part of a practice of simplification, non-proliferation. It really encourages. It can also encourage us to be patient and kind. Just to finish with a story about the mystery. One of my favorite activities as a monk, when I got a bit better after the permission to die thing, few years later uh, when I was abbot of a small monastery even though my energy still wasn't great one thing that really helped me was every year we would go on tudong, which means to shake off it means you shake off your attachment to your special things and your special routines and we would leave the monastery and go walking for a few weeks with a few things a sleeping bag and stuff like that a few monks a few postulants and one year we walked from Southwest England, from where we were in Devon, down to Plymouth. Then one year we to walked to Bath. It took a few weeks each time. You didn't know we were going to stay at night. You'd say we're monks on pilgrimage. Uh, you meet someone and say, "Do you know where we might be allowed to have permission to put our tents for the night?" And some people say, "No, I don't know," or some would say, "Oh, well, I have a barn." Or please, uh, do y'all have anything to eat? And so y- you would meet amazing people. And just the walking one step at a time was a wonderful return to mindfulness of the body. And that really helped my health, maybe eight miles a day, ten miles a day. Um, and I would often hold a mantra, just rather than thinking about any other thing, just a, a phrase do that. So once we were walking in, in uh, toward Bath through the I think Somerset or somewhere in England and uh, I was just walking along with my mantra and then we were on a, a path and up ahead the road was, was forking and then someone but it was invisible tapped me on the head and whispered in my ear you should go to the right and I go, hmm? Someone tapped tap me on the head? And I look, there's nobody there. No, you should go to the right. Okay, well, I mean, I didn't tell my um, assistant monk someone just tapped me on the head and told me to go to the right. <laughs> I didn't tell him that, but the junior monk had the map, uh, Venerable Atopemo, who's very good at reading maps. And, he, and, and so as we, I just said, I think we should go uh, to the right, up ahead. <laughs> And was uh, and said, venerable? No, look here, two sides of a triangle. You see that uh, two there, there? That's a long way. We're, we're supposed to, we should go to the left. I said, well, but that looks like a nice place, way to the right. He said, no, 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 that, that's way out of our way. We should go to the left. So, you know, I didn't go. Well, someone just tapped me and said, go to the right. <laughs> so I said, okay. So, I, you know, I went along because, well, why not? So we started going to the left on this little path, and we went, you know, 30 seconds a minute down the path. Out of nowhere, because I didn't see him before, there was a guy in the field that shouted out to us, wouldn't come this way if I were you. (laughs) And I said, he had a backpack on, looked like some kind of spray. And so I said, Venerable, I think we should go back. And so we, we went back to the, the path, and I just thought, this is interesting. So we just kept walking along. And about, you know, 30 minutes down the road, on the right-hand side of this lane, I could see an old fellow. that looked like he had a little horn kind of standing on the road. And so, okay, so we walked along and get closer to him. He had one of these things. I must be a, one of these things used to be connected to hearing or something. And as as we approached, he said, "The Lord Buddha was awakened under the bodhi tree, <laughs> and he walked to Kasi to turn the wheel of the Dharma." and open the doors to the deathless. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> and he opened his hand, and there was a garden with all this tea and fine china set up. They'd been waiting. Early that morning, his daughter, who was just visiting, they had driven by, and he recognized us as monks. He was a colonel, retired colonel in India with the Gurkhas. And he said, Do you, do you think they'll come by? <laughs> and it was his 80th birthday. And she told me she didn't. he probably wasn't going to live longer, so they had it all set up. And we came in, and he had met a loma, and he had it, oh, money, put me, and he had a, a prayer, precious prayer will, and he showed all the things, and he was so happy, and it was so graceful. This world is mysterious it cannot be described words fall silent before